Welcome to Private Parts, a podcast that's not afraid to go there. It's Beth here, and you might be wondering where on earth we've been. Well, firstly, hey, we miss you too, and don't worry, because we're working hard on some new apps coming your way very, very soon. In the meantime, we're doing something a little different and bringing you an episode from one of our favourite Aussie independent podcasts. You're listening to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex and relationships. Love Canberra was launched by Ivana Ho at the beginning of 2016. And it is exactly what the name implies, stories about love, sex, and relationships straight out of the capital. That might sound super niche, but you definitely don't need to be from Canberra to love this pod. The intimate, complex, and moving interviews Ivana has done touch on big, universal stuff like power, fear, passion, and, of course, love. It's one of the best sex and relationship pods going round. Today we're playing an episode Ivana released a few months back about a guy named George. When Ivana first met George at the end of last year, he told her straight up that he was a shut-in. She asked him to elaborate and he said he'd spent most of his teens and early 20s in his bedroom, almost 10 years in one room. George's story goes to some dark places, but we wanted to share it with you because it touches on some experiences a lot of us face feelings of isolation and fear and the struggle of working through a mental health issue. Here's Room from Love Canberra. I'm George, I'm 27, I'm from Melbourne, I lived there all my life and I just moved to Canberra about three weeks ago. Not much else. I mean, I'm a student at ANU, I'm studying arts, history, English, Spanish, with a view to go into a teaching postgraduate degree afterwards. I guess that about describes me in a socially acceptable way. And you consider yourself to be an introvert? Yes, very much so. Why do you think that you're an introvert? What makes you an introvert? I spend a lot of time by myself. And at the same time, I have a lot of difficulty breaking the ice with other people. I I do have, you know, the longing for social interaction, often quite lonely. But, you know, it's just that even if I did have, an, you know, the perfect fulfilling social life, I'd probably still spend a lot of time by myself, just because it's kind of in my nature. But yeah, it's a tough question to really ask. I think there's like, you know, you can have an introvert who's incredibly shy, can't talk to anyone at all. You could have an introvert who's, you know, just a little bit reserved, you know, not really loud not really assertive, but still, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to tell that they're specifically an introvert just by interacting with them. It's tough. It's, I guess it's a bit of self, self-definition. self I mean, no one really wants to self-identify as an introvert. Like, it's not something that's so desirable. So I feel like if someone says they're an introvert, they probably are. Are you an introvert? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. <laughs> I mean... You don't I... get to be special. Are you embarrassed to describe you to to be known as introvert? Well, I think the connotations with it, it's like, you know, it's, it comes with connotations of like 
social disability, not not disability specifically, like, you know, deficiency, I suppose. Like, you're socially bad. People don't want to know who you are. They don't want to know you're not interesting. That's really how it comes about, at least to me. Like, if you are someone who was a little bit self-conscious, if they were an introvert or an extrovert, you know, you just met them and they were an introvert, they'd probably tell you they were an extrovert. Me, two or three years ago, I probably would have. I would have put on a face and pretended as much as I could. But now I just don't give a shit anymore. I've given up. <laughs> How long do you think you've been an introvert for? I, I don't know. I can't really peg it down. I don't, I don't remember much about my life before I was about 14 or 15, to be honest. It's, I think I was back then as well. I don't know. I can't tell if it was something that I developed or just nature. It could have been something that was, you know, learned because I was very into, you know, not very into physical activity, very into, you know, TV, video games and stuff like that when I was little. So it might have been nature. It might have been nurture. Who knows? It might just be how I was destined, how I was destined to be. Like maybe... If I was born a hundred years ago, I would have been reading books instead of playing video games and watching television when I was little. So what happened at 14, 15? Uh, when I was 14, actually before I was 14, 15, when I was about 12 or 13, my sister, I don't know, I don't know the story because I, I don't really remember and I don't think anyone t- really told me about it, but apparently she got threatened by like a random person with a knife and then she basically immediately developed like severe agoraphobia, depression, lots of mental illnesses, and she started basically she left school, started staying home, and she's been like that ever, ever since. And um, about a year or two later, I was having trouble in school. I don't know if it was. I think, if I remember correctly, I think I was being intentionally disruptive because I wanted to be like her. I didn't want to have to go to school anymore. You know, when you when you're young, maybe not to the extent that I am, but when you're young. You don't want to go to school. You just want to fuck around and play video games. That's how I was. I thought, I, I guess I kind of felt like I was having trouble in school. I think I was getting bullied, but I don't really remember much of the specifics. I definitely got bullied, but I don't know if this was a reason. Probably was a small contributor at least. And um, yeah, one day my mum drove me to school. And this is, I guess this kind of is an introvert thing because the school was actually quite close. It was like 10 minutes away on the train, but I was scared to take the train. It's just, I guess, I guess maybe I, ha- I did have a bit of social anxiety all along if I was scared to do something like that, you know? But yeah, my mum drove me to school and she tried to get me out of the car, but I wouldn't. I just sat there and said, no, take me home, crying. So she, I don't know, she, she did. And then, yeah, that was the start of a great downhill spiral. Well, it wasn't really a downhill spiral, it was a downhill stagnation. You can't really get much lower than I was for about, what? Well, at least 10 years, I'd say, since then. What was his stagnation? Basically sitting in my room, avoiding all social interaction whatsoever, living like a pig, playing video games and using the internet for about 10 years. There's a lot more detail in it than that, but that's just... That one day when you didn't want to get out of the car and you were crying, how did that turn into 10 years? I don't know, I went home... I sat in my room and I don't know, I don't really remember, I just remember that was the start. 
I did, I did like, I'm sure my parents tried some things. Like I remember being put into homes and stuff. Not like, you know, it wasn't like a foster home. It was like a troubled kids, you know, like rehabilitation sort of thing. And that was at least two times. I remember like government employees coming to the house to, to check on me and stuff. Like, you know, why, why I wasn't going to school. But I don't know any of the administrative details. I don't know. I don't really have an idea of exactly what was going on. I just know that I that was the beginning. I sat in my room playing video games, only interacting with people online. And the only person, people who I talked to were my mum, my sister and my dad until he left later on. And I would hide in my room when anyone else came around. Do you remember how you felt during at, those at the days? Beginning, at the beginning, I think I was pretty happy with it. <laughs> it was what I wanted to be. I wanted to play video games all day. I think that went on for at least six or seven years until I really started feeling like, you know, I just felt kind of sick to my stomach doing what I was doing, but I didn't know how to get out of it. But yeah, in the beginning and for... definitely the majority of the time that I was like that that was how I wanted to be it was only when I really got older that that kind of changed do you remember what sorts of games you were playing back then initially it was Star Wars Galaxies I think no when was this maybe that was when I was still in school let me think yeah yeah Star Wars Galaxies it was like in when I was in school I was playing games I played with people from my classes like I played Counter-Strike and like a land center, etc., etc. And then eventually, I found like MMORPGs, like massively multiplayer online role playing games. Because I'm sure other people, fortunately, don't know what those are, and you should count yourselves lucky. Oh yeah, Star Wars Galaxies are one of those. It's like basically, I mean, sim- simplifying it a lot, it's like a virtual world where you can pretend to be someone else. So I played that for a couple of years. That was like a game where you can have like your own house, your own shop. Basically, you just live another life in the game. Perfect for someone who's scared to go outside and who's sitting in their room all day. You know, you can make friends without ever actually knowing them or who they are in real life. So it works out. And from that, I played um, World of Warcraft for a very long time. I think I played it from the day it came out. Actually, before it came out, from like 2005, I think it was. Until about um, 2011 is when I stopped. So yeah, that game was like my entire life for about six or seven years. But in the end, it felt terrible. I didn't really want to be playing it anymore. There were other, you know, lots of other games in between. Like just, but I, but the the thing that kind of drew it all together was the people that I played games with. No matter what they were, they were the people who I met on the other games, WoW and Star Wars Galaxies. So how did your family sort of react to all this? How did they respond to you just holding um, up in your bedroom? It's a good question. I think my mom is kind of um, um, not very assertive. Like she just wants to make her children happy or anyone really like, yeah. I mean, she's, she's assertive, for example, people on the phone, she'll give them hell, but not with me. She'll give me whatever I want. So she just kind of ceded to me and my sister, didn't really see it as a problem I guess I mean it was what we wanted to do at least in her book and my dad 
left he couldn't handle it he left when i was 16 i believe about two years after i started staying home as well but he was always you know pretty abusive and violent and loud and um so yeah he's kind of expected if he he might have done it anyway i don't know but yeah the family definitely didn't react to it very well how did your sister feel about having her brother at home with her like you know similar to how she was i have no idea how she feels about anything I don't know her. I don't know what she does. I mean, I do talk to her, but it's like, you know. Like, you know, I'll go over to my mum's house, say hi to them. My sister might come out and say hi for like five seconds or something. So, yeah, I don't know what she does. I don't know who she is. I don't know what she wants to do. I've tried to talk to her about it before, and she can't handle it. She just, like, runs away and hides in her room. So, yeah, I don't know what she's going to do, but... I have to kind of look out for myself because I've only been out in the real world for about two years now. So, you know, it's difficult enough for me. So trying to manage someone else's life as well is not going to be very helpful to me right now. Maybe she was another player in in the games that you played. It wouldn't surprise me. There were times where she was very interested in what I was doing but that kind of died down. You know, we were kids still. Even when we were staying home all day, we were both still kids. She was like 16, I was like 14. So there was lots of like, you know, trying to kind of spying on the other, seeing what they were doing and teasing them about it. But, you know, that went away very quick and we both started, you know, we even kind of just started ignoring each other. It wasn't like a malicious ignoring. It's just we were kind of irrelevant to each other's lives. We were so immersed in whatever else we were doing. You mentioned to me before that all of the friendships and the relationships that she made during this time were with people who you met online. Yeah. During this time and also during now, um, I made lots of friends. In 2007, I met the guy who I count as my best friend still, and I've never met him in my life. He lives in the US, in California. I hope that I can go there one day, but I don't really have the money. And he doesn't have the money either because he lives in America and he's working class, so too bad for him. At least, you know, even in my shitty situation, at least I can afford to go to university because he's going to be living on like $25,000 a year for the foreseeable future. But yeah, lots of other people too. Um, I met him actually through another friend of mine who's, I don't really talk to much anymore, but you know, I still keep catch up with what he's doing. It's important to note that at the time that we, you know, we met and we were, we were all basically complete addicts of this game, different circumstances though. For example, some, you know, some people went to work and then came home and literally only played this game. Some people were people like me who were just complete shut-ins. Others maybe had led more normal lives, but, you know, still managed to fit enough in that they could make an impression on me. But, yeah, I still talk to so many people who I met through the game, probably, like, at least 10. And I don't know, it feels like I've grown up with them, to be honest. So they kind of replaced what childhood friendships would be for other people. So it's very... I don't know, I feel proud of a lot of my friends and what they've achieved, considering the shitty places that we came from. I mean, we didn't really come from shitty places from the beginning, but we were definitely in shitty places 
you know, when we were stuck in a rut of playing World of Warcraft 24-7 for, like, years. So I'm very happy with my friends and what they've done. I feel like I'm... Some of them are taking different paths. Like, I have one friend who's... He's basically been a complete hermit the whole time. But now he's finally managed to make a career out of video games. He's a professional gamer now. It's a lot better than it sounds. He makes good money. He actually just won 2000 bucks this past weekend. So that's nice. And then there's friends who, you know, have moved on from video games entirely. I'm one of those, I guess. And just, you know, try to build something for themselves out of the rubble. That's basically what I'm doing. So with the person that you consider or that you count as your best friend over in America, what's his name? Nico. Nico. And um, and he works at a brewery? Yeah, he works at a brewery that I'm not going to mention the name of, but he's, this is actually, I think this is one of his first real jobs, real. No, he was coming from a similar place to me. I mean, he's much better socially than me. He's still introverted, but he's not like, you know, he's not. He doesn't really have the anxiety. I mean, he definitely has anxiety, but I don't think he has social anxiety. Yeah, I mean, he works at a brewery. His co-workers love him. He sexes the girls. Things like that that I don't do. He does what, sir? He sexes the girls. I made that word up. You're allowed to make up words. It's like Melville. Melville? It's a made-up word as well. Okay, so you mean like he picks up girls on Tinder and all that? Yeah, yeah. He's he's. I mean, people like him. You know, he, for me, people, I don't know, I get nervous, I get shy. For him, I'm sure he gets those feelings as well, but he at least manages to put on the face for as long as he needs to to get people comfortable. I can't do that. You know, I need people who are tolerant of my initial awkwardness, who are actually interested enough in me that they want to get past it. And those people don't really exist. (laughs) So... (laughs) So... In terms of when the two of you met, when you and Nico met, what was it apart from gaming that kind of bonded you? I guess we're kind of, we kind of have similar senses of humour, similar personalities, in that we like... I, I don't know how to describe it. Like We hate anything that's popular, but we hide this from other people. I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm someone like that so much anymore. I mean, when I played when I played games, I mean, it's a very important thing that I actually forgot to mention. I was a complete asshole. Everyone hated me. I was an asshole to him as well. I like, I would yell at him every time we lost. You know, people in the community knew me as like a huge troll. Which back then, back then, trolling meant like, kind of, you know, just being a huge asshole more so than trying to get a rise out of people. So yeah, I was definitely not a good person. So why did he still tolerate your company? I have no fucking idea. I have to ask him. I mean, we had lots of lots of disagreements about it. But at, at, when we first started playing, I was, I was very good at the game. And he he was, like, not. And I played with him. So I guess... I mean, he was good. But, like, I was, like, a known person, I guess. Like, people knew who I was. Like, my, my name in the game meant something. I mean, I'm not saying this to brag. It's just how it was. It's fucking pathetic. Please don't think less of me, people. But, yeah... I was like a known quantity and he wasn't. So it, it was like, I guess it was beneficial for him to have the chance to play with me. And that kind of seemed to like, I don't know, 
honestly, it was kind of like an abusive relationship. Like, he got stuck in there with me. But yeah, I mean, up until probably 2010, 2011, I was still a huge asshole. It's just, we didn't really play games together so much anymore. Like, we mostly just shot the shit whenever we could about our days and our lives and stuff. So, I, you know, I never really got angry at him anymore. He gets angry at me probably more than I do about him because, I don't know, I'm always negative. He's always negative too, but he, he's on his high horse. Do you think that Nico also considers you to be his best friend? He does. He tells me all the time. I don't know. It's a very, I don't know. He's someone who's very appreciative. Like he's not afraid to tell people if they mean something to him or if they do something he appreciates. So I know how he feels. You said that he seems to be able to make friends quite easily and that his co-workers like him a lot. I mean, do you worry that he's just going to get swept up in his real life and, you know, maybe grow apart from you? I hope he does. I mean, I'll be happy for him. It's not that, you know, I don't particularly need to have a constant interaction with him in my life. Because, I mean, I don't know, all my other friends have kind of, you know, they've got their own thing going on, people I knew in the game. I still talk to them every now and again, just not every day. I I guess we're kind of like, like me and him kind of have um, a symbiotic, no, how would you say it? Okay, have you watched Peep Show? What's that? Uh, It's it's hard to explain, but like we kind of enable each other, I guess. So it might be a good thing if we didn't talk to each other so much. Like, we just talk about our, you know, the things that you can't really say to other people. And they're usually quite negative and quite depressing. So maybe it would be better if I didn't vent those things and just kept them up inside me and pretended to be happy all the time. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I would be happy for him. I'm sure he would still, you know, remember that I was there. And if I ever managed to get over there or he ever managed to come here, we could, you know, mess about. So your time as, as you call it, a a shut-in lasted like 10 to 11 years. Um, Yeah, about 10, I'd say. Maybe maybe a little less. I can like give you a little bit of timeline. Until about 2011, I didn't really do anything. 2011, I started um, dieting a lot, like a lot. Like I was eating like 900 calories a day and like going out for walks, not very far. And I lost a lot of weight, but then... um, I gave up after like six months. And then up until about, um, I'd say mid, late 2014, I didn't really do anything for myself. And then I started, you know, kind of gradually, I started seeing a psychologist and I started gradually taking myself outside, you know, just doing little things like doing my own grocery shopping instead of letting my mom do it. You know, going to the shops, buying lunch sometimes, little things like that. And it just progressed and progressed and progressed until I got a little bit better. And sometime during, I suppose, what you could call your recovery, um, you met a girl who lived in Peru? Yeah, I did. Sorry, I just have the embarrassing rosy cheeks right now because it's, ter- it's a terrible story. I mean, it's, it's, it's a terribly embarrassing story. I can't fucking believe that I did that. But yeah, 
Yeah, I did online through Reddit. Actually, she I posted like looking for people to play games with, and she replied to me. And I don't know, we played games, and she was a huge asshole. But I think like I was very like you know, this was about after about probably three or four years of me feeling the feeling in my gut like that I was going nowhere. Like I would spend every waking hour like it's hard to explain. It's kind of like having the feeling of butterflies in your stomach, like 24-7. Like you just, you know, I wasn't enjoying life at all. I didn't like where I was, but I didn't know how to get out of it. So I was kind of like, oh, you know, this this girl. I mean, I played with girls online before, but I never really even considered them in this way. From the beginning, she was kind of flirty and stuff. So I was like, oh, you know, this is this is something new. This is a great chance for me to, you know make something special i don't even know what i was thinking it's incredibly embarrassing but you know things happened and it was very unhealthy we would sit there play video games on skype together literally all day do nothing else i stopped talking to my other friends and stuff like that i stopped progressing kind of i stopped going outside yeah it was terrible what was her name andrea and how old was she I was 20, 25 when I met her. She, no. Yeah, 25. She was 21 or 20, I think. And so how long had you been talking to Andrea before you actually went to Peru to, was it just to see her or did you like already have this idea of staying with her for a while no. from the moment that you left? No, no. We organized it all beforehand. I talked to her for about four months, very fast, right? And we organized it beforehand that her family, like, kind of agreed to let me stay with them because she was living at home with her mum, her brother, her brother's wife, and their two children. And they kind of arranged it that I could stay there with them for three months, which, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to stay there otherwise, you know, renting a hotel for three months is going to be extremely expensive. So, yeah. Did you end up staying there the entire three months? Yeah, I stayed, with them the, I stayed with them the entire three months. I can kind of go from the beginning. I mean, I got off the plane. Um, we met. At the time, I was, I think I was dressed in like a shirt that was five sizes, a t-shirt that was five sizes too big for me from Dimmies, and like some tracksuit pants. And that was how I dressed every day. <laughs> so I, I imagine that her first impression of me wasn't very good. So we meet, she's like, are you going to kiss me? And when we kiss, and I didn't really know what I was doing. Was that your first kiss? No, I had one when I was like 14, if that counts. Basically, yes, I guess. Um, yeah, and we, her brother was there to take us home in a rented car because he, he actually was unemployed at the time. So we're in the car with her brother, you know, obviously you can see us. And she's like putting her hand on my leg and stuff. And this is a very Catholic country. You don't do that in front of your brother. You don't, you don't do anything at all. Or they'll find out and they'll kill you. So yeah, I was like, um, oh, wow, she must really like me. This is great. And, um, you know, I had dinner with them, had a shower, went to bed. They actually like renovated like a room outside for me. So I was like basically sleeping in the shed because they didn't want me in the house with with her because that that's you know that's taboo. 
and it was terrible. I couldn't sleep. There was no toilet. You know, I had to knock on the door to use the toilet. And I needed to piss all night. So basically I didn't sleep at all. So I managed to convince them to let me sleep indoors. But, you know, this, the, the criteria was like, okay, you sleep in the bed. Andrea sleeps in the living room on the couch. Wait, so they kicked their daughter out onto the couch? And- no, it was like... But- I mean, it was a choice between me and her, and she wouldn't let me sleep on the couch. <laughs> but, I yeah. thought you said she was an asshole. She definitely was an asshole. You can do that. I mean, you can be in, you know, like irrationally enamored with someone, you know, kind of love at first sight sort of thing, and be nice to them for a couple of days because she was. You know, there's a reason that she stopped being nice. I mean, she was very not abusive to me even before I moved. She was like the asshole that I was beforehand, to be honest. Like, you know, being very very critical about video game things okay so she was from the beginning she was very obsessive compulsive about really stupid things like you know fold your clothes perfectly and put them in the drawer if you if they're not folded perfectly do it again she would go through my drawers and refold all my clothes and say look what you've made me do stuff like that um she was always you know complaining about minor messes you know, like if you you know you're looking at my room right now, it's not like that bad. Everything's it's it's disorganized, but it's not dirty. You know. Well, there's not really that much stuff for there yeah, to yeah. you know I'm to be huge. An example, like for her, if she came into this room the way you you saw it, she would have a fucking fit and go about reorganizing everything. I remember once, um, her mum, her mum did it as well. By the way, I think that's where she got it from. I, I put my clothes, wash my clothes, put them into my drawer, and then her mom went through them when I was out and redid all the, the folding. So that's fucking bizarre. But yeah, I think the the she was definitely very critical of me and very obsessive and compulsive from the beginning. But the thing that kind of set her over the edge was that I found out, you know, one day she was at uni, and I was at home. Just, you know, on the computer messing around because I didn't really have much else to do. I mean, I had social anxiety and she was kind of my gateway into this foreign country. So I really needed her to be with me to really go out and do anything. So I was just on the computer messing around and I accidentally like, you know, it was her computer. So she got a message from a guy who she was talking to online, like from the US or something. I don't remember, to be honest. And, you know, it was very lovey-dovey. What's going on here? And to be honest, I kind of figured it out like instantly what was going on. I figured it out like, you know she cultivates like these internet relationships with like random guys on the internet and i'm 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 just one of them and i i fucking came here so yeah and i kind of kept it bottled up until the next day we went out together had fun and then on the way home kind of came up and i was like so what's going on here you know, she went off at me for it. She's like, wow, why are you looking through my things? There's nothing going on there. And I can't believe that you'd ever think something like this of me. Blah, 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 blah. And I think that's when her, you know, like she was kind of stuck with me because she couldn't just kick me out. I would die. But from then on, she was just kind of stuck with me until I left. We didn't officially break up until probably two weeks before I left. But it was absolute fucking hell the whole time god it was terrible i mean she was still like like we kind of kept up appearances not you know for ourselves as well not just for other people i think we thought we loved each other and she thought she loved me but her idea of love is very um 
interesting. So did you guys like play video games together all the time and what did you do together? Oh, when I was there, we went out a lot, like just doing stuff around the city. Everything was new to me. I mean, I've never been outside very much since I was like, you know, a teen, an early teenager. So going around a foreign city, which, which was Lima, Peru, like a city of 9 million people, where I didn't speak the language, you know, if someone to show me around was very nice, even though it was her, it would have been nice of anyone. When we got home, she would play video games without me. Like, you know, she wouldn't want to play with me. And um, I don't know, that hurt me a little bit at the time. I don't know. I think, like, after that initial, you know, me telling her that I figured everything out, you know, she kind of denied it, uh, blah, blah, blah. I I mean, I, I looked through a lot of her stuff after I saw that initial message. It's. It, I mean, it's a bad thing to do, but I was right. I found out that I was right. That was, you know, she had pictures on her computer of like, you know, tons of different guys. Like she's been sending pictures back and forth of like fucking ten different guys. Well, not ten. It was like three or four. And you know, they talked to her like they were together, or that they used to be together. At least it was bizarre. It was like, what's going on? Like, she, like she like likes internet relationships. I mean, I think that. It could have been anyone who was there with her. Just the only reason that I was there with her was because I was, I was, you know, the one who suggested it and went over there of my own accord. So that's why me and her were together. I don't know. It was very, very weird. So anyway, after all of that, um, like we still went out together all the time. You know, she was still very huggy, very kissy sometimes, but. We actually never had sex or anything. I don't know. She made me feel very bad about that. I guess it's a cultural difference. You know, Peru is a very Catholic country. But beforehand, I mean, this is a little bit personal, but, you know, no one's going to know who the fuck I'm talking about, so whatever. Beforehand, when I was back at home, she was very sexual. And then when I get there, everything changes. Like, she's just not interested at all. So that was a bit a bit um, disappointing, I'd say. It's nothing to be ashamed about for me because sex is a very important part of a relationship. So yeah, to spend three months with someone who had already been, you know, technically, this is what as we kind of agreed, been together for four months, and then I spend three months with her where we're in a relationship, and nothing happens between us. Very interesting. We also slept in the same bed on a holiday for three or four nights and she was entirely uninterested so puts into perspective but yeah apart from that you know we we, well she was working as an English teacher in um, Miraflores which is like this really upscale touristy district which was about two hours by bus from where we lived so I'd go with her to Miraflores you know I'd just kind of explore while she was working and then afterwards, we'd go see a movie or get dinner or something. And we'd go home. we do that every day. Every single day, basically. You know, I participated in lots of things with family, like holidays, parades and stuff. Oh, that, that Catholic parades are, are completely ridiculous. I'll tell you that. Like, 
I was living in in the in their home, which is kind of in lower middle class area. It's called. It's like um, it's not enclosed. It's not gated, but it's like a huge block of um, apartments, kind of. But then you know they're not very good apartments. In that whole place, it's like its own suburb, and everyone there, you know, kind of has a sense of community. Even though it's kind of a really small area with lots of people, so they have you know their own Christmas parades and stuff, their own religious holiday parades. Uh, yeah, the family. T- for all their flaws, they put a lot of effort into including me in their their life. And um, I mean, I can't really say much bad about them. They're just different people to me. But I definitely can say bad things about Andrea. Because, you know, she spoke English. She knew about different cultures. She kind of, she got me to go there. You know, she could have said no. She didn't. She was on board from the very beginning. But clearly there was something um, up with her. Definitely something up with me. Like, who the fuck is going to go to fucking Peru to, like, you know, hail Mary, meet this girl off the internet? Ugh. What did her family think about this guy from Melbourne, Australia, who has flown, like, halfway around the world to stay with a girl that he met online for three months? Well, they knew about me beforehand. We talked on Skype and stuff. I don't know, I think they thought it was weird, but they, to them it was kind of interesting because, you know, they didn't really know many foreigners, especially because of where they were from. That's not a place where tourists go or anything. Like, they were definitely suspicious. They were definitely, you know, they definitely probably would have preferred I didn't stay with them, but they were very accommodating. And if they were, um, I mean, there were little things that they were definitely stupid about. Like, for example, her brother yelled at us once because we use the same soap. And he was like, ah. Oh, you know, that's, that's disgusting. You shouldn't use the same soap as a boy. So stuff like, little stuff like that, kind of the prudishness of Peruvian Catholicism manifesting in little ways, like passive-aggressive ways like that. But if they, if they didn't like having me there, they definitely didn't let on about it very much. So you were there for three months and then you went back to Melbourne. Yeah. What happened when you returned to Melbourne? Um, when I returned to Melbourne, I came home, um, signed up for every uni that I possibly could, basically immediately. And also this tertiary enabling program at La Trobe, which is like a pre-university um, preparation program for like all the students above like 21. So I got all of that in order. I started, um, you know trying to get more independent doing much more of my own things like i wouldn't let my mom cook for me anymore i started insisting on paying her rent things like that um you know i still talked to andrea but it was like um i don't know like she i I came home you know we broke up two weeks before i went home and and she was like expecting me to keep talking to her on skype all day like like before and I was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. We're not even together anymore. I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. You're an arsehole to me. You know, we didn't um, talk very much, you know, every now and again for a little while. And then about February, right before uni started, you know, she was like talking to me about stuff. And I'm just like, I don't want to tell you about my life anymore. You know, you're, I sent over her like a big diatribe telling her that she's a fucking arsehole. And I just fucked her. So, yeah. Um... 
I completed the tertiary enabling program, which included like maps and science, which were very intimidating for me, and I did reasonably well on those. And then I got into Latrobe, as well as Adelaide Uni, Newcastle Uni, but I didn't want to move because those uni suck. No, I'm just, you know, I didn't want to move for them. I I didn't get into ANU, which was my first preference. I really wanted to move to Canberra. I don't know why, it just got into my head. So, you know, that didn't happen. And, oh, yeah, I, f- I did my first semester at Latrobe. Basically, you know, wearing the same style that I was wearing the whole time. Like, you know, shirts too, too times too big for me. Sweatpants. What do you, what do we call them? Tracksuit pants. Yeah, that's the correct Australianism. Sorry, I'm a bit Americanized from talking to Americans online exclusively for about 10 years straight. So I use the wrong words sometimes. But yeah, like I was, I was still, you know, very much, I don't know, I look like a shut-in. You know, I look like someone who doesn't really have their, their wits about them, just from the way that I dress and the way that I acted. This was only in February, by the way. So, yeah, you know, I went to uni, I did my first semester. Basically, I was entirely focused on it the whole time. So I did quite well. During this whole time, I was living in a graduate house at La Trobe, which is um, a, like a mature age student residence, like dormitories. I did meet a lot of people there. Not really many good friends, but, you know, that's how it goes. I'm me. I don't make good friends, even though I want to. So, yeah. So the whole time I was living there, you know, I started cooking best for myself basically every day. I started being a real person, you know, buying everything for myself. I wouldn't talk to my mom for three weeks at a time. Not not because, you know, it's just how things went. Not because I wasn't, you know, I didn't want to talk to her. How did you sort of figure out how to act like a normal person? Um, I guess the... The year in Peru, like, kind of improved my confidence a little bit. You know, there was actually I was actually taking English classes in that the district that I talked about, Miraflores, which was two hours away. And I was taking the buses myself, which is definitely for, an, you know, a socially, socially anxious, anxious depression lord who, you know, is in a foreign country where he doesn't speak the language. was kind of impressive, I'd say, because they were chaotic. You had to really know where you were going, what you were doing to use them. So, yeah, I was taking the buses myself for about a month to take Spanish classes in that district. Yeah, and I got my life in order a little bit, but still very socially stunted. So my first my first semester at uni, I was very much, you know, I exuded like that weird guy. I was older than the other students. I dressed like a dumbass. I had a lot to say, but I didn't really know how and when to say it. Um, I still did extremely well. I mean, by my standards, I did. I got like an 83 average in my first semester. During the break, I kind of met another woman. She was older than me. She was actually more interested in the same things as I was. You know, that didn't work out, but it was it definitely helped me, like helped my fashion sense because I kind of dressed up trying to impress her. I actually bought clothes that fit me properly. I started losing weight. It was a valuable experience. And, um, yeah, so second semester, I was kind of a more normal person. Still older than the other students, still a bit, you know, like, 
you know, going to school with 18 year olds is sometimes very, very hard because they say a lot of stupid things very confidently all the time. And I have to try to stop myself from just, you know, saying the wrong thing about that. So, but yeah, I feel like now, you know, since then, and this, this, this last semester was, um, just July until, um, late last month, actually. So it was very recent, you know, kind of very quick transformation there. Now, now I look, I look fucking sweet. I have clothes that fit. I don't look like, you know, a fucking weird guy on the street anymore. Now I look like the, the wanker who wears shirts like this. How would you describe your shirt? I don't know. I bought it. I bought it two days ago and I haven't been brave enough to wear it out yet, but I thought I'd wear it for this interview even though no one can see it. It it looks kind of um, like what I would say is paisley, but it's blue and white. Yes, paisley. Like that's that's what the, that's what it's called. I don't know. Does it know what the pattern is? I guess. Like yeah. It's like a it's like one of those really um, ornate rugs kind it's of. It's really elaborate. It's definitely not who I am, but I feel like this is the kind of shirt that you'll see on you know a guy with like a beard and slick back hair, and you'll just say under your breath, "Are oh, you fucking wanker?" as you walk by. So it's definitely not me, but I, you know, I'm trying some new, some new styles, reinventing myself a little bit. Are you expecting to hear that if you walk down the street wearing that shirt? Uh, yes, absolutely. I would, I would say it to myself. I say it under my breath to people all the time, but they have the full package that, you know, you need, you need the slick back hair. You need the, the hipster beard. You need the overly groomed mustache. I think I only just have one part of the package, which is the shirt and this terrible watch, which I need to stop you wearing. Do you think that you're quite judgmental of other people? I'm, I'm judgmental of myself. Are you listening to me? <laughs> uh, no, I think this is a common thing. Like, you know, we judge people as we walk by them. It's in, you, No one walks by someone and, and, you know, just says, oh, you know, go you to every single person they walk by. If you say that you do, you're lying. You moved to Canberra in early November. You came here to study at ANU? Yep. Oh, I came here to study at ANU and also because I wanted to get away from Melbourne because I'm just sick of it. It was my prison for like 10 years or, you know, I was there my whole life. And, you know, during the last year at Latrobe, I kind of, kind of realized that I just don't want to be living there. It's just not the right place for me. So I came to Canberra. I mean, Melbourne's, you know, it's very busy very centralized on the CBD. You know, I kind of want to go somewhere that's a bit quieter, a bit more relaxed. Somewhere where I'm, you know, not just an anonymous face in the crowd. I mean, I still, I I probably still am here, but you know, it's more, a little bit more tight and it kind of makes it feel like it's not like that because there's less people, smaller place. And you sort of have a goal now of meeting people in real life as opposed to online? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to, but it seems that this isn't really... I mean, when we talked about this before, I'd say, you know, we could we could say it's like the incredible man who never meets anyone other than online. That's how I am. Like, I can tell you that of the, all the people who I know, you know, I have, like, the, you know, the professional acquaintances. I'm not academic acquaintances, rather, like, you know, my lecturers and such. 
classmates who I don't really talk to very much anymore. All the people who I know, other than one person who I met in the, the last semester, and that was because, you know, he's a mature student like me, so he really pushed me. To, you know, he, he pushed me to get to know me. You know, he wouldn't stop talking to me just because I was being a little bit shy or anything, so that's why I actually got to know him. So yeah, that's the one person that I've ever met in my life who I would call a friend who I actually have not initially engaged with online. Like, I initially engaged with you online, I initially engaged with everyone who I met in Canberra online so far. That's how it's been. So yeah, I'm hoping to move past that, but at the same time I'm still doing the online thing. You know, I'm still trying to meet people online, still quite a bit of online dating, online gatherings and stuff, trying to make friends. When you look back on the 10 or so years that you spent in your room, do you feel like that was... Um, like the lost years or waste of time? What are your kind of thoughts on that period? It does feel like a waste of time, but at the same time, I kind of wonder, you know, would I have done a lot worse at school, for example, if I had gone to uni right after high school, you know, just gone on the regular track? I feel like I would have done terrible because I was a really bad student in high school. So, I don't know, in a way, in a way, I guess, I'm blooming a little bit late, but it might, it might be beneficial. But yeah, it does feel like I kind of lost a lot of time. You know, I would much prefer to have done what everyone else is doing and, you know, finish uni when they're like 22, 23, 21, get a job and just become a normal person because I'm not going to be, you know, what I call a normal person, you know, someone who just goes to work, has money, has co-workers who they make friends with until I'm like 31 probably, 27 now, so there's a long way to go, isn't there? Do you think that you're unique life circumstances what you've been through make it more difficult for you to you know meet potential um partners or even friends um definitely initially i don't think it's the circumstances i think it's my nature or whatever whichever way you'd go about it like maybe it's nature maybe it's not but yeah probably like this is the way i am now it's apparently people for example people walk up to girls at bars and hit on them if i did that it would be as a joke that's an example of you know me and what i'm like out there in the real world i don't you know i don't really approach people unless i want to buy something from them or something like that i don't know it's not that i don't try like it's not like i don't want to it's that i really i don't know i i can't like i need people to take the initiative with me but you know, I'm not really that interesting on the surface. You know, I'm just like a regular random guy in Australia. I'm not worth the travel of getting to know most of the time. That's how I feel at least. So when when I talk to people online, it's different. Like, you know, it's way easier to break the ice. I can talk to them a little bit beforehand before we actually meet in real life. And, you know, they, they kind of have an idea of who I am. And they're actually interested in that. So it's a lot different. It's a lot, it makes it a lot easier, but it's not how I, I would ideally want things to be. You started a meetup group 
for Canberra introverts. Why did you do that? Um, I did that because I wanted to meet people. And also, I don't know, I feel like I kind of have my own unique experience. And I feel like there's probably people out there. There's lots of people out there like that, actually. Like, you know, people who are kind of isolated and stuck where they are. And they could really use some, you know, something to help get them out of there. So, in a way, I was kind of reaching out to those sort of people as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people like that in the world who, you know, we don't really think about, we don't really see, but they're there in their houses. A lot of them, really. I mean, in Japan, they even have a term for it, hikikomori. So, repeat yeah. that? Hikikomori. That's what the Japanese call、um, men and women who basically, you know, they just. Have shunned society and they live in their houses, you know, for whatever way possible. Like maybe their parents help them out or whatever. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if there's a, an, entirely, an entirely new word for the phenomenon in Japan, it's, it's probably in other places too. And I think I'm proof of that. And, you know, the people I knew were proof of that as well. It's definitely, you know, as time has gone by, the world has only become more conducive to that sort of lifestyle. Like, you know, the technology has gotten better, the internet's gotten more expensive, gaming's getting better and better, you know. More popular and everything, so I'm sure you know the number of people like that has not gone down, it's only gone up. But where are they? We don't know about them. So maybe there's some of those in Canberra who'd like to come along, but you know, it's unlikely because you can't just go from living in your room to you know approaching a table of people you've never met in your life when you're scared of even going outside in the first place. But it's a yeah, I mean, primarily it's because I wanted to meet people, I'm selfish. And if I can help others meet people as well, then that's good too. Have you played any online games this year or lately? I played one at the beginning of the year, Overwatch, but that was only because I wanted,、um, my friend, the one who I talked about earlier, who was、um, an aspiring professional gamer, he was like, he latched onto it from the beginning as kind of his, you know, his chance to make it big, and he did. And, and I was like, you know, I kind of wanted a piece of the pie. I wanted to write about it. I could have easily. Kept playing and reading about it, but I just lost interest. I, didn't, I, I couldn't stand video games anymore. So, yeah, I stopped playing, kind of gave up on that whole idea, but I still follow what he's doing. I guess you've kind of played enough for a lifetime. Yeah, I didn't really have a desire to. I mean, I would do it as like a social thing, like, you know, but with people who I actually, you know, am with in person in real life, not just random people on the internet who I have no chance of ever meeting. So, yeah. Are you concerned at all about relapsing back to the kind of dark emotional state that you were in? No, there's no way that's going to happen. I'm pretty. I mean, I might relapse to the emotional state, but I'm not going to relapse to the,、um, the habits. You know, I mean, I've definitely been depressed a couple of times in the last year or so, even though I've been improving. I mean, in terms of like human capital, I guess, like as long as I keep studying, it doesn't really matter. How I feel. You know, as terrible that is to say, you know, I want to develop my social life, but in terms of like, you know, building, you know, the things that are important in our society, like having a stable job, you know, having an education, I'll, I'll be working towards that regardless of what happens. Because I don't really find studying very difficult, at least at the undergrad level. It's been quite easy so far. I mean, the first year undergrad level, maybe second year will surprise me, maybe any will surprise me, but. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could be depressed and still meet my own standards while studying, as terrible as it is to say. It just, I'd, rather, 
I'd rather do all of that while having a fulfilling social life and people who, who I care about and who, I'm conne- and who I have a connection with. I don't like spending every night alone at home on my laptop. It's, you know, that's what I mean. Honestly, since I've came to Canberra, I'm out during the day, like, you know, riding my bike around, shopping, doing whatever I can, maybe meeting some people. And then I come home and I use my computer looking for people to meet. That's the cycle right now. So I'd much rather be hanging out with people than doing that. But I have to make those connections myself somehow. And, you know, I met some people at the meetup group on Sunday. So maybe it will continue. Maybe I'll develop something with some of them. Who knows? This episode of Love Canberra was written and produced by Ivana Ho. Theme music is by Proletur with interstitial music by Pottington Bear and Kevin McLeod. You can listen to more episodes of Love Canberra at www.lovecanberrapodcast.com or by searching Love, Canberra wherever you get your podcasts. A big thanks to Ivana Ho for letting us play this episode. Thanks, Ivana. You're the best. Private Parts is produced by Eric Pollock and me, Beth Gibson. It's bye for now, but not for long.